Paper Hat, how's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance. And we make you suffer through a trivia question twice a week. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks for increasing that. So, how many Americans keep a formal budget that involves, and not necessarily a formal budget around like every day-to-day purchase, that, but some type of budget that involves long-term investment and savings? On a day-to-day basis? No, not necessarily on a day-to-day, like not tracking their day-to-day spending, but like how many Americans budget with the idea of like, I should save for this future goal or I should invest this money? Uh, uh, It's it's higher than you think it is. People are always striving to save for stuff, but maybe not as formally as you think. Uh, 25%. So one About one in three Americans plans for anything and the rest just scramble around like chicken with their head cut off (laughs) i guess that also doesn't surprise me um so i would say we fall firmly into that 30 percent where we do a lot of like future planning of we want to save for a house purchase or another real estate purchase or you know whatever goals we have but i would say in terms of our you know day-to-day budgeting it's not like i'm like today i have five dollars to spend and two dollars will be at the grocery store and three dollars will be on a cup of coffee right um we don't really budget that way right i mean that is a strategy that used to be like the old envelope model right where you'd pay you you'd have so much money in an envelope and when the money was gone you were just totally screwed (laughs) yeah and we've actually done a whole podcast about like different Different budgeting styles and that is one of them and i did try that in college for a while i felt like it was helpful um at that point in my life when i didn't really have the same maybe frugality muscles that i've developed now and i felt like there was a lot more pressure in college from people being like oh no like it's fine just come out with me tonight or oh let's go get pizza and i really kind of had to have that like you know hard proof of like oh no I really can't afford to go to Pita Pit with you today Um, because otherwise I would have gone to eat at Pita Pit every single day because I loved Pita Pit (laughs) in college and I couldn't afford to right so um, but I I couldn't just like know that I couldn't afford to I had to like feel I guess that physical pain of like I really can't afford this but I would say now I you know I don't have that same temptation it's much easier for me to say no and so I wanted to talk a lot more about kind of our personal budget and how we relate to money. And I would say we kind of have what I'm calling the no budget budget. Right. And so this is this is kind of like an evolved step, right? This isn't for the the basic people just starting out. Right? Well, I would say yes and no. I think there's a lot of principles in this that could apply to um, you know, anybody. Um, okay. because I think I think some people don't have that same gumption to say I'm going to do the envelope model and stick to it um they'll just like I um I knew I was helping somebody with planning for their budget and like in mint they didn't like it when their budget turned red because that meant they were out of money or they went over and so they would just like hit the plus button so that it went back to green and like (laughs) and so like that wasn't really helping anything so I think for people like that who like setting this dollar amount it can feel really restrictive right Mm -hmm. because it's like I only have you know $30 this month to spend on going out to eat. Well, what happens if you, you know, that happens to be like a spending month where maybe you have friends coming into town and you want to be able to do these things. So I think it's actually far better sometimes to take a step back and look at the big picture. Um, So one area that we do this is like, 
vacations, right? It's not that we go on a vacation every single month or every single, you know, six months even. But when we do go on a vacation, we kind of have this amount of money that we're like, we're fine spending this, but we don't go overboard. We don't, um, you know, I think certain examples I have of this is we've gone to Europe a couple times now, and we don't necessarily do all the touristy expensive attractions, but we pick the ones that mean a lot to us. One of, like when we were in London, for example, we really wanted to tour the city of London, which was, I think, maybe 10 euro a person to the do Tower that. The Tower of London? Yes, sorry, the Tower of <laughs> London. Well, it is also the city of London, it was, technically. Yes, at the time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Currently, still, technically, that yeah. is the city of London. Um, history lesson, actually. <laughs> um, but we did want to tour that, and I think that was like 10 euro maybe. But, you know, there were like some boat cruises and stuff that we were like, well, we can probably get by without doing that like right. night tour. Or like the the Eye of London, right? The big Ferris wheel there. Like, do we need to ride that around the, the giant Coke-branded, you know, super tourist trap? I mean... We, we chose that battle and we were like, we're going to go to the Tower of London instead of that, right? Right. Uh, way more value in that. Yeah. So, you know, that's an area where we just kind of evaluate our purchases. And, you know, something that we really value is like eating really good local cuisine. But the great thing about doing that is you can find yourself in like super awesome hole in the wall restaurants that are pretty inexpensive. Right. Like I think one of the best crepes we ever had was this like little off the beaten path place in Paris and like the lady didn't speak any English whatsoever. That's not true. Like the best. She knew She's, the word sure. Sure. Yeah. She was really proud of it too. Um, uh, but yeah, those crepes were awesome. Yeah. So, and that's, I mean, doesn't have to be expensive, right? To get good stuff. So yeah. And I think that's actually a really good example of what we do. So we evaluate each purchase And as Brett's favorite motto, we decide whether or not we would be happier with the dollar. (laughs) Um, You know, so for us, when we were in London, for example, when we when we were going to the eye and we figured out, you know, that was like also like 10 euro a person or whatever. We were like, "Uh, you know, what value does this add? It doesn't really add that much value to us. So we opted to skip it where, you know, when we were deciding you know, what we wanted to eat for breakfast that morning, we found a place that had the full English breakfast. We were like, oh, yeah, that sounds like something that, you know, is delicious that we want to do. Um, (laughs) But I would say that applies not just when we're on vacation, but to our daily lives of when we're walking around a store, we really stop and think about each purchase. And a lot of times that means if we see something for the first time, we almost never buy something the first time we see it. Right. If, uh, if, we end up buying something at a store that we didn't plan on getting in the first place. It's because one of us basically talked the other person into getting it. It's not the it's not we have to talk them out of getting it. We have to talk them like into buying that thing. Yes. And so like an example that I have about this is because then, you know, sometimes we've also gotten the question of like how do you deal with finances as a couple? And we actually merge all of our finances and it's not that I have to run every decision by Brett. But I also, he also trusts me to make good decisions. So like if I came home and I was like, I bought a Tesla Model X, he'd be like, take it back, take it back right now. (laughs) Um, But one example that I have is, let's say that I was going shopping with friends. Now, if we go to a mall, nine times out of 10, I'm going to just walk out of the mall, not having bought a single thing, just enjoying walking around with my friends. Now, if I came home with a pair of shoes, 
Brett would be like, good, you've had a hole in your shoes for like two months (laughs) and you needed a pair. But he also probably knows that it's because I found shoes that fit my need and they were a good price. So I decided now was the time to finally buy them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we don't, you don't wait until like the emergency scenario where like something explodes to like go replace it. Ideally. Right. Unless it's literally like your furnace, right? Right. Um, but even still then, in that scenario, you should look at a couple different quotes and find the best deal because uh, it takes an extra 10 minutes. Um, but, but for most of this stuff, we, we, there's not a lot of stuff that we don't have at this point being in our late 20s, early 30s. Oh, you're we, in your early 30s. Don't even try to stay in the 20s. <laughs> That's said, just me. I said early 30s. <laughs> um, that we need a whole bunch of extra stuff anymore. Like we don't need to go shopping and get a bunch of stuff. We don't need a bunch of gadgets anymore, right? Um, we've gotten through this you know, relationship for the last 10 years with stuff that we have. So unless like one of those like critical things that we have like breaks, like Angela doesn't have shoes to wear to work tomorrow, uh, you know, anymore, then um, you know, we need to go look for a replacement for that like actually critical thing or we say can we just live without this thing like was this actually adding any value right and as somebody who used to shop a lot more in my early 20s it come to find out i can just like go into my closet and be like i'm just gonna wear these other shoes for a while maybe they're less comfortable um maybe they're not my like number one choice but they get the job done until i find the right thing so that i don't have to buy something in an under the gun pressure situation right Um, And actually, even if you don't have that, so even if you only have one pair of shoes and you wear a hole in the bottom and you're like, I need, this is an emergency situation. uh, If you know what you want and it's like a reasonable price, go out and buy it. But if you're like, well, I don't really know what I want quite yet. And all these shoes kind of seem like a ripoff. Maybe just go to like Goodwill and buy a secondhand pair of shoes that will help buy you the time that you need because spending like five dollars to save you know 20 bucks in the long run is still probably worth it right so um, there's a lot of times that you can figure out how to make do at a cheaper price until you can afford or can buy the the actual right answer right because there usually is a right answer right and it's not like your the shoes in question here were cheap to begin with you've had them for a very long time and they just finally right i don't know you stepped wrong one day and it like sliced the heel open and it just started breaking yeah i don't know what happened but i mean yeah i've had these shoes for i don't know like seven years so i think eventually (laughs) the heels just wear out um and like running shoes are you know i'm a runner and it's really important for me to replace my shoes on a regular basis so kind of going back to the i never feel guilty like buying new running shoes when i need them because i know it's like saving me from a whole slew of like other problems of breaking my knee right because um, she's tried to push this before and learned the hard way that like if she lets the shoes deteriorate too much in a running environment then Yeah, she has, like, medical problems with her bones. Yeah, like, if you wait until there's a hole in the bottom of your running shoe, you're a thousand miles too late. Um, (laughs) Because running shoes do break down a lot faster. But instead of going out and buying, you know, full-price running shoes whenever I need them, a lot of times what I do is I buy last model's shoes because, really, there's you can still find good running shoes from a season ago. They're still brand new to me. And, um, you know, a lot of the half marathons that I used to do would set up like shops where literally last year's shoes, which were still brand new, they were never used, were half price. And so I remember Brett even got like two or three pairs because we were like, 
the great thing about that as a runner is sometimes you like the shoe that you have and when they update the model it like changes it right so like I would just hoard and Brett would just hoard like three pairs of shoes so we'd be like cool we're set for the next like two years on shoes um because we got them for a really good price right it's not like they were on you know it's not like we went to a store and they said they were on sale they were like I don't know, $50 off what they normally were. So they were like like half off what you can get yeah. and find them for anywhere else. And we did look for them other way, other places like for a long time. And so I know that was like a good price for that shoe. Yeah. Right. It's not just because somebody like told me it was a good price for that and I didn't know it already. Yeah. And like, um, you know, another kind of more out there example, but I'm somebody who likes to wear Birkenstocks and I had a pair that I was basically wearing into the ground. I probably needed to replace them before I actually ended up doing it. But we happened to be in Berlin, which Birkenstocks are made in Germany. And we were like, holy cow, they're just a lot cheaper here than -hmm. they are in America. And so even though we weren't planning on buying shoes that trip, I literally took the Birkenstocks off my feet, put on a new pair of Birkenstocks and went on my merry way. Like, (laughs) so it's not like I bought a new pair to like add to my collection. I replaced the ones that were like busted and crusted and, you know, had my new, had my new shoes. So um, it's not to say that we don't, I think some people would look at that and say, see, you do impulse purchase, but it's like, no, we're replacing something that we've been like meaning to replace for a while we're just waiting for the right deal to show itself right because impulse buying is buying something that you're adding to your collection right and if it's not if it's not an even trade or there's nothing wrong with the thing that you're actually getting rid of right that's a different story because then you're still adding it to the collection in my example of the shoes like i knew that i bought like three sets deep because i knew that i was going to wear those for the next like three years which i think i am still on the last pair of those shoes right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) this was like five years ago um and right i they they deteriorate over time it's not like i like went to target looking for something other thing that i was going to purchase and i just find i come across like a good deal or like something that says it's oh my god it's 90 percent off this thing and i just like buy it because it was such a good deal for the sake of it being a good deal if I didn't have a, like a strong purpose for that in the first place and not like a, oh, I might be able to use this, right? then you still shouldn't get it. It's still not adding enough value to you. Yeah, don't buy something just because it's a good deal. Buy the thing that you need at the right price right. is how I would is how I actually think of it in my brain. Right. So if I get the, if I find like the shoes that I like know are awesome and I can verify that their quality is not like they're falling apart and they're ten dollars, then great. That is a good deal to me. Right? Even right. if they're $50, that's still a really good deal to me because they're normally like everywhere I ever found them was like a hundred and something dollars. Right. right. And, and so I will also say that like I needed good winter boots for years. This was like a whole saga and they were expensive. So I kept not buying them because I kept thinking I'm going to find them for the right price someday. And I finally did. Right. Um, just took two years. It just took two years. <laughs> but but in the meantime, I had other boots that I could use. And were they like as slip proof as they needed to be or as warm? No, maybe not. But they got the job done until I got the right thing at the right price. And I think some of it is delayed gratification. So I guess if we want to work in a little bit of stoicism, since we haven't talked about it in a while, um, being able to be patient. And then when you finally get the thing that you've wanted for a long time, but you get it at the good price, that even feels better, right? right because then. you're like, finally, I won. It's like been this long process. And <laughs> and now every time I have to wear those winter boots, I'm like, yeah, right. I wasn't a sucker. I got these at a good price. They're super warm. They're everything I wanted. And, and I truly do feel like because 
I wait so long to purchase things sometimes and I buy the thing that I really want after doing a lot of research, I, be, I, I remain happier with that item for longer. So I found that back when I used to um, kind of not have the same like frugality training maybe, and I would just impulse buy a pair of boots six months in, I'd be like, wow, they're already wearing out. Like this was not the right thing to get. And I wasn't as happy with that purchase because I didn't put as much thought into it. Or you said any of the heels that you've ever had, like for the most part have always been terrible. I have that one really good pair. One really good pair and all the rest have like hurt your feet because they were cheaper. Right. And so that's, that's a good use case of like, you need to have something that is not physically hurting you. Absolutely. Um, for a particular situation that you're not getting out of, right? So a, like a, in, in a career state or um, formal dress clothes in some capacity, like everybody needs at least one pair of that. So you know, for funerals or weddings or whatever, right? Um, and it, in that situation, it's worth getting like a good quality something for you know the best price you can get it for. Yeah. Even if that thing is more expensive than the other stuff on the market, there's a a lot of times there's a good reason for that. Well, and like to that point, I literally have yeah one pair of heels that I wear for everything that I've worn now for, I think I've had those for three years at this point. And that's it's the only pair of heels that I wear anymore. I got rid of all the rest because I was like, these are all trash and I'm going to keep this one pair because it's the right answer. So even though I paid a little bit more for that than maybe I would normally have, it's definitely paid off in the long run. Right. You didn't buy four other pairs of shoes because they either broke or they hurt or they were, you know, your feet got too big or whatever. You just have one good one. I think another kind of key point is I have the one good one and I wasn't like, wow, I love this thing. So I'm going to buy 10 of these exact same pair for whatever reason. I was just like, no, this is the pair that I need and I don't need it in five different colors. I just need it in one color and this this is what I wear with everything. Right. And they don't, right, you don't wear them frequently enough that you think they're going to deteriorate. Like, I, I mean, obviously I wear my my walking, running shoes every day. So Right. I mean, yeah, I think because I think a lot of times girls find like a pair of flats that they love and then they want to get them in five different colors. <laughs> um, and so I guess my point there was I got a neutral color that I could wear with everything. So I only needed to buy one pair, mm-hmm. um, which was helpful. Okay. So now that we've talked about like bigger purchases or less frequent purchases, um, I wanted to peel this back and talk about um, maybe a controversial subject that we talk about a lot, which is coffee. And Brett doesn't drink the stuff, but I do. And I, most of the time I brew it at home, but I will say I do like going and having like a nice cup of coffee or a cappuccino in a cafe and just like hanging out, maybe reading a book, maybe going with Brett and like chit-chatting. And so, although a lot of times in this podcast, we talk you to talk about not spending money on coffee, I will say that I do occasionally spend money on a very fancy $6 coffee, but I do that maybe, and you can correct me if you think this is wrong, Brett, but I would say I do it maybe every month, so every four to six weeks is about how frequently I actually go and splurge on a cup of coffee. Yeah, and that's probably accurate, and usually it's because there's a trade-off of some kind where you've like actually done something to like earn that back, right? Or like you've saved money in one area to say like, okay, I'm going to, I'm intentionally not going to use this money for retirement. I'm going to send, I'm going to save money in this area for the purpose of this because I want this thing more than I want this thing. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point is a lot of times we analyze things and we make trade-offs of like, okay, you know, I'm, I have a personal spend budget of, you know, I feel comfortable spending $10 this month and 
out of that $10, getting a coffee is high on my list, so I will forego this other luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, a lot of what I do is I'm like, okay, Brad, I'm going to cut your hair, and then any money that you would be spending on a haircut, I get to spend on myself. Well, yeah, yes and no. So, yeah, so I was paying, like, $15 for a haircut, and they weren't even that good anyway, right? Because it's, like, as cheap as I could get a haircut for anyway that I looked, um, you know, with with tip and everything. And then, you know, we, we just settled up and said, you know, my haircut's not that complicated, right? I don't really care what it looks like at the end of the day. Um, so it'll be hard if even if you mess it up. So give it a try. So we bought like eight dollar scissors and a comb or something, and and then Angela gave it a try and it turned out just fine. Like it looks really good. Like she does a pretty good job at it, and uh, better than I was getting before for the fifteen dollar haircut. And so we take the money that is the difference there. And so every haircut that we do, then we allocate that back to her coffee fund. Well, no. So you say we allocate that back, but really. Typically, the trade-off is that for every haircut I do, I get one coffee. So the haircut is now costing us like $6, and then we just get to save $9. Haircut costs us nothing now. Oh, it costs you your coffee. It's it's the coffee. So I make Brett give me $6, and then we get to save $9. She gets her coffee, and we're still profiting off of the difference. So a lot of times for us, it's trade-offs like that. And... Um, I think another big thing, which we talked about groceries recently, you should totally check out that episode um, if you haven't, because we love to talk about food and it probably shows in the listen. But yeah, like there are certain things that if it's expensive at the grocery store or if like produce is not on sale, like we don't buy it. Right. If it's out of season and it's super expensive, like um, what's a good example? Strawberries are usually a really good example of this or blueberries. Out of season, they're like a fortune. When they're in season, you can get them like for nothing, right? And so why would you just not buy them all in season, eat them in season? And then, you know, what we did was we just bought a ton at a really good price and then froze them. And to the point where it was such a good valuation that we bought a freezer to store a bunch of stuff in season and then eat it all, th- all year long. And yeah. it, was still more, it was still more cost effective than buying food out of season. Right. So... If you want to hear more about that, go listen to our episode all about food because we do a deep dive into that. Um, and I don't want to derail this entire episode with talking about food part two, even right. though we, we could. Because um, if, there, if there's one area that we like really ac- optimize, it's in that, right? It's in groceries and yeah, food budget. Yeah, and he doesn't mean necessarily optimize, but like we're not the most frugal foodies out there. There are people that probably spend far less than us, but we eat like super well at a reasonable cost i love eating food like that's my favorite thing i don't want to like sacrifice in that area but i want to be super efficient at getting the values that i want to have in that area yeah um so i'm trying to think about what other areas we spend money and i will say like any big purchase so like if i need a new laptop or if we need a new phone those are definitely not decisions we make overnight those are usually months in the making Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I, I pay a lot of attention to technology, so I have a better like ear to the ground for that stuff anyway, so it doesn't take me as much time to ramp up and research those things when we are moving in that direction. But obviously, yeah, outside of Angela dropped her phone in the water and it right, instantly died, usually there was that weird screeching sound it made that one time or your battery was like dying to the point where it wasn't, it didn't make sense to like replace it anymore. We did that one time we replaced her battery and boom, brand new phone. And that lasted like a year or two. And then, but eventually there were like other problems and it made sense to finally retire that phone. Um, and then right. We figured out 
exactly what the next best choice was, right? And it wasn't, surprise, it wasn't getting like the most expensive iPhone or Samsung phone on the market. Um, right or there. Google Pixel, like any or of the Pixel. flagship top yeah. tier phones. Um, yeah, those are those are tough valuations to make because uh, right, they're the top end of the market. So you're not getting as much for your dollar as you are with some of the mid-tier phones or even some of the budget phones. Uh, yeah, so actually another interesting thing about phones is like now that I'm on Google Fi, I actually pay a lot more attention to how much data I use because you're charged like per gigabyte. And now obviously if I need to use my phone for something, I will. But there's like simple things you can do of like, don't use Instagram if you're not on Wi-Fi because it destroys your phone. Like Instagram is, or yeah, it destroys your data. It's just insane. Don't watch YouTube videos if you're not on Um, Wi-Fi. Those are huge. And like just browsing Chrome will also crush your data. So like just refrain from doing that if you're not on Wi-Fi. And then in terms of like, yeah, since I'm still, you know, getting used to the new city that we live in, I use maps as much as I need to. I use, you know, my Gmail when I need to, kind of any of those like things where like, yeah, I, I need to be paying attention to this right now at this minute when I'm not on Wi-Fi. I do, but I consistently use about a half a gig a month, which I think for a lot of people is not very much data. But to me, it's just like, this is all I need to use, so why would I pay for any more than that? Right, and your phone bill is like 20 bucks a month, right? 25. 25, because of that half yeah. gig. Yeah, because yeah. I have gig. Um, and obviously, like, if we were going on a long road trip and I didn't have, you know, data as much, it would go up. But, like, in terms of my daily life, I have Wi-Fi at home. I have Wi-Fi at my office. So, you know, unless I need to use it for whatever other reason, just don't. Just, like, wait until you get home to watch YouTube videos. Don't, you know... Mm-hmm. Do it when you're oot in a boot. But yeah. um, that, those are just like little things that I think people don't always think about. But it adds up because I could easily, you know, the, the normal is like two gigs a month, right? But that's an extra $15 that I save. And it doesn't sound like very much money, but every time you make those decisions, it puts more money back into your pocket and it adds up over time. Right. And that's a, I mean, that one, uh, internet utility, um, television, Anything that you have an outflow of money going into on a regular basis, you should re- be, a, be reevaluating that stuff um, maybe on a quarterly basis or yeah. at least an annual basis to like look at some of this stuff and just say, like, are there better options out there today than there were the last time I made this decision? Because there probably are, right? Yeah. My monthly phone bill, like, what is that? What, what can I switch to another carrier and have the exact same experience that I have now but just pay less? Uh, Can I call my Comcast or call my internet provider and just like negotiate the rate and get less or switch to a different internet provider and just get more for less, right? Get faster speeds for less pay because they're just going to keep your bill as high as they can for as long as you can until you act upon it. Well, and Um, another huge thing is like your auto insurance rates or your homeowner's insurance rates. Every single year you can call and negotiate those. And maybe that means you change companies every year, but like, we did that very successfully many times and saved large sums of money by negotiating. Right. And that may be one of the biggest areas we saved money in. It was just switching our insurance around. Mm-hmm. But who cares? It doesn't affect us at all. All we have to do is make a couple phone calls. Right. Right. Then the right the bl- broker that we talk to figures out the good deal, like match the coverage that we have today. Um, or they can tell us why our coverage today doesn't make any sense, right? And then turn off like one or two things here and there that we aren't using. And boom, there you go. Saved $1,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. Like seriously, huge, huge amounts of money annually. Um, 
Um, but back to the, like the computer example, the phone example. Um, I know we've bought like a like a big blender and like a, we've got a juicer in the past. Like some of the like more strategic purchases, purchases, I consider like those things as more like investments. Like I don't think of mm-hmm. them as just like commodities or like junk that we pick up at the store. Um, when we have like a specific purpose for that device, right? We're, we've built a use case. And obviously we, we think about this stuff like super quickly in our head, but I'm just drawing it out for explanation, right? There's a use case for this device. I've proven to myself that we like will use this thing. Um, in the juicer example, right? That's a weird one. Um, Angela was actually like starting to like do juicing at home, uh, fruits and vegetables. We had a much cheaper version of it, like a $20 juicer that we got at Target just to test it out and see if we would like that in the first place. So super low investment. Uh, turns out it was a really good thing to do. Uh, she was like producing enough juice that it was uh, she was selling it to other people, um, right? So it was like, it was becoming like a, an, a, a literal investment to us or business opportunity. Uh, so we ended up getting like a better model, the right choice, uh, one that like produced the juice that would last the longest in a refrigerated state, right? There was a, like a whole lot of evaluations we did in the side of that purchase. And then we said, once we decided, yes, we are going to move forward with like getting a better version of this, then you go through the exercise of figuring out exactly what it is and what what is the best one in the market and like what are the price points that these are at and comparing the different products and uh, what is the right one that matches your use case, right? So just buying something that ended up being like, you know, a kitchen appliance that was like 150 bucks or 200 bucks or whatever it was. Um, like we put a, you know, a lot of time and investment into that area to decide exactly what it was gonna be and what it was uh, and getting the one that was gonna like had the best you know, warranty in case anything went wrong or finding the one that like had the least amount of problems so that we didn't buy something at a high price point that was gonna fall apart, right? And there's just a lot of decisions that go into that. Laptops are a better example of that. Um, I would spend a lot more time investing in buying the right laptop than probably most people do. Most people probably just like walk over to Best Buy and like pull something off the shelf. And I would say probably most every computer in that store is something you should not buy. (laughs) Um, All of them are probably bad. And the one that is probably the most expensive in the store is probably uh, the safest one to buy, but then that's a bad deal for you, right? And you shouldn't do it. So shop around. There's a ton of laptops out there. There are really good ones. There are lemons. There are ones with bad keyboards, bad keyboard layouts. Uh, The screens flicker. Uh, The screens are just bad. The screens don't work outside. Uh, The touchpads don't work, right? Like every, every variety under the sun Unless, again, you're picking up a MacBook and every MacBook is exactly the same and all their keyboards are bad. Huh? Um, come to find out. Um, then, right, you, you should you know, invest in that stuff and then find the right one for you and then try and get that one on sale when it comes on sale, right? And mm-hmm. maybe you wait like three months, but like computer hardware goes on sale all the time from several different vendors. Like it's super easy to find good deals on that stuff as long as you are patient. Um, Yeah. So um, just to kind of start wrapping this episode up, I would say, like, we've talked about these big purchases. We've talked about, like, the data a little bit. And I would say just in general, we just don't buy as much stuff as a lot of people who go out and buy, you know, the end cap stuff that they see all the time. Um, And I will say we've kind of take the opposite approach. So Marie Kondo is everywhere right now. And the real beauty when you are a lot more intentional intentional about what you bring into your house in the first place is I don't have to go through and hold all of my objects up to see if they bring me joy because I had a specific plan for everything that I brought into my house in the first place. What is a Marie Kondo? 
Marie Kondo is like the organization lady on Netflix right now. Oh, oh, she like, had that documentary or whatever. Yeah, like the, the that's why everyone is like decluttering their homes mm. right now. Not because they listen to our podcast about how we like moved <laughs> across country and decluttered everything. Um, but yeah, like everyone's like, oh, I should you know minimalize and I should get rid of stuff in my house. And a lot of it's because this you know blew up this concept. But I would say we're at a point now where we um, have tried to turn gifts off where instead of saying that we want to exchange gifts with people, we just do events instead. So we say, you know, don't buy us stuff. Let's just all go out to dinner together or let's all go to a play together or something like that. And we control what we bring into our house. And I would say we haven't really added anything to our collection so far this year. Um, I can't think of the last thing we really like bought to, to have, like an appliance or anything. Um, we got some nightstands. That was what we Oh, got. we got some nightstands, yeah. Because I was still using the lamp tables that I had from 2010 that were $20. We got some nightstands mm-hmm. and we got some dining room chairs. That's so. right, because we, yeah, because again, in 2010, I had the worst dining room chairs known to man, but we used them for like eight years. Um, so. so those were some good purchases, yeah. But outside of that, you know, we don't add a lot of stuff. So, you know, we've talked about it before. We're big fans of our local library and I read a lot, but I don't, I don't just have books laying around because they get stored for me a couple blocks away, which is super nice. For other Um, people to use. Yeah, yeah, other people can use them. I actually have people who maintain my bookshelves and they keep everything in the right order, which is super (laughs) convenient. Um, So that's, you know, that works for us. And the beauty of that is we don't have as much clutter around our house. And I think when you're intentional about what you buy in the first place, and even when it comes down to like food and stuff, when you're intentional about like meal planning and what you're bringing in to have this week for food, you don't waste food. We very rarely waste food or waste things, right? We are, because we are so intentional about what we buy, um, it means that our budget stays small just naturally and Mm -hmm. normally, and we don't have to think really hard about a lot of this stuff. So, you know, budgeting works well for a lot of people. For us, it works a lot better to just think about each purchase kind of individually and decide if we should add it to our lives or not. And I will say we kind of have these maximums in mind. All of a sudden, you know, if our grocery bill shot up to $1,000 a month, we'd be like, something's wrong here and we need to, you know, tweak this or change this. Right. Um, but we don't need to, I guess, you know, have this, this method of like, we can only spend this much money or we have to spend this much money because we just kind of shop very intentionally in every aspect. Right. The easiest way to get started with this is to think of it as like you put up a barrier and that barrier is you ask yourself whenever you're buying anything, even if it's a dollar or whether it's a $200 or $20,000 vehicle, would I be happier with the dollar, right? What is the opportunity cost of what I am paying for this thing? If it's $5, what could I buy for $5 that would make me happier than what this thing is right at this minute? And I think the hard thing is $5 is such a low barrier that people are like, of course I'd be happier. But then, so sometimes you have to look at the big picture of like, am I spending $5 on going out to eat to lunch every single day? Mm-hmm. And and so instead of what could I do with the $5, what could I do with an extra $25 a week? Mm-hmm. What could I do with an extra $100 a month, right? And that's where you really start to like see that every $10 decision matters a lot. Every $5 decision matters a lot if you make enough of them, right? Yep. And you do every day. So yeah, that's every, true. Everybody does. All right. Well, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you have any questions or any stories that you want to share with me, I will drop all of my contact information in, and I'd be happy to hear anything you guys have to say. 
Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.